Why are you here? Don't know if you've ever thought consciously about that. Why you are here. Specifically, why you are gathered in a local church setting this morning. Many Christians who identify themselves as people of faith, even if they don't even necessarily identify themselves as Christians, they know they're supposed to be in church, and so they gather together. But if you press in and ask why, I think many of us might have difficulty articulating the purpose of attending a local church or identifying what activities a local church should be engaged in, what a local church should be doing. We also live in a world that is full of many high-profile individuals who once claimed the faith and they are now deconstructing their faith and leading many others to do the same using that language to describe their process of walking through seasons of doubt and uncertainty as they move further and further away from biblical truth. At heart level, every person who comes to this point of a deconstruction, to the point of all-out apostasy from the faith, do so because they lack a genuine conversion to Christ. But I also believe that one of the reasons that individuals may end up leaving the church is that they find a disconnect between what the church is supposed to be about and what they're supposed to be doing with the individuals who make up their local church. Indeed, many local churches can lose their way and find themselves mired in internal conflicts. Or perhaps they become a church that exists solely to enrich the leadership And the leadership fails to care for the flock. Perhaps the church can become focused on feel-good messages that don't ground individuals in sound doctrine and sound theology. Or they may lose touch with the gospel that they are obligated to proclaim. Or there's a myriad of other possibilities that can lead a church to losing their way. When churches lose sight of their purpose before God... It is of no surprise when individuals will eventually leave because they were never grounded in truth. It's tragic that many will leave churches who have lost their way, but not only will they leave those churches, but they will leave Christianity altogether. I hope and pray that this will never be true of Pillar Fellowship. I pray God's protection upon Myself as pastor, upon whatever future that the Lord has for this church, future pastors, future elders of Pillar Fellowship, that as long as this local church exists, Pillar will hold it true to its name. That is a pillar and a foundation of the truth of God's word, faithfully proclaiming that to the community. And so, before we return to our study of Philippians next week, I thought to take advantage of the fact that this is the first Sunday of the new year to remind us all, and myself included, what is the purpose of a local church? What is it that we are supposed to be about and how we hope God will will bless the efforts of, of Pillar Fellowship collectively as a whole as we move forward into the year 2022? And so we're going to be in the book of Colossians this morning. 
book of Colossians chapter 1. We're going to be focusing on verses 24 through 29, and in this text there are several things about church ministry that I want us to notice and and glean as we examine the Apostle Paul and his ministry as he presents it for us. As we come to our final conclusion that church ministry is ultimately about Jesus Christ. We're going to see several things as Paul shares his own personal experience and his own commission from God. And that his ministry, as he has engaged in it, as as he has sought to minister amongst people, that his entire ministry is about the church as he labors to benefit the church, to strengthen the church, to deepen the church. Let's pick things up in Colossians chapter 1 beginning with verse 24. Paul writes, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of His body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the Word of God fully known. Paul indicates in this text that his entire life is about the church. There's much to be gleaned from Paul's ministry, and it shouldn't be difficult for us to see the connections between the things that that Paul was engaged in and the things that we are supposed to be doing. His calling and our responsibility mirror one another. The same things that motivated and and drove Paul, these are the same things that we are obligated to perform as ministers in the generic sense, not as professional ministers, speaking of myself as a pastor, but as all of us as ministers of the gospel of God, we are all called to the same things. And so I have five headings for us to consider today, all of them declaring to us what the church is supposed to be about. What is biblical church ministry? Why are we here even today? Why, what is our purpose here? Well, church ministry is about worship. It's about the Word. It's about the gospel. It's about discipleship. And ultimately, it is all about Christ. First, biblical church ministry is about worship. There's much about this context that we don't have time to examine in depth, but I want to give us just a brief overview of chapter 1 as as we consider this this idea that biblical church ministry is about worship. We're going to see that Paul's conclusions here at the end of this chapter, they actually flow directly out from his entire argument through the beginning of the chapter. If we were to go back to the beginning of the chapter, we'll see Paul, as he is praying for the Colossian church, that he is thanking God for what God is doing in their lives through the gospel of Christ and how it is bearing fruit. It is increasing within their lives. We see how his prayer for the church includes his desire that they would give thanks to the Father who has qualified them to share in the inheritance of the saints in the lights. We would see the incredible majesty of Christ as Paul points to Him in in verses 15 and following. He points to Christ as the creator, the sustainer of all the world. He is the head of the church, the preeminent one who has reconciled the world to Himself and has reconciled 
those who believe in Him unto the Father. As a result, Paul is able to rejoice. He rejoices, he responds with joy, even though he suffers greatly. He rejoices because he sees that God is at work. It's increasing the gospel, the the, the fruit of the gospel is increasing in the lives of the Colossians. So he praises God. The gospel is changing lives, and it is he God is at work. And that alone evokes that worshipful response of Paul. In this I rejoice. I rejoice even in my sufferings. The phrase that uh, is there in verse 24, filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, that phrase has tripped up many individuals. It does not mean that Christ's death was somehow insufficient, that there's something left to be fulfilled in the sacrifice of Christ, but rather that Paul understood that, that God was sovereign even over his suffering. And that he was willing to endure what God had put in front of him for the sake of the church. Indeed, when God saved Paul, he he said to Ananias these words in the book of Acts about Paul. This is Acts 9 verse 16. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Paul understood that there were things that he was to endure And he was to suffer, but he was willing to do it. In fact, he even rejoiced in it because he knew it would benefit the church. And so the glories of Christ, the the, the things that God was having him walk through, he was rejoicing in these things. It was a worshipful response to the Lord because he knew that God was at work through it. And this is a concept that we have studied even as we've moved through the book of Philippians. Right, as we saw through from Philippians chapter 1 about how Paul was in prison and yet he rejoiced because it led to a furtherance of the gospel. And so even though we don't always get to see exactly how God is at work, Paul is able to rejoice in his suffering because he is confident that God is at work. And he is using even this difficulty, even the suffering for his good and God's glory. And so he rejoices, he worships God. But notice how he describes the message that he was commissioned to speak. Look at it as he continues on in verse 25, I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. And then he describes the content of that message. It is the mystery, this is verse 26, the mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul says his mission is to proclaim the word of God, and the content of that is the message, this this riches of the glory of the mystery of Christ. The language that Paul uses there is worshipful language. He says this is immense glory, the riches of the glory of what Christ is doing. It is worshipful language as he reflects upon the realities of this truth of Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
Paul looks at what Christ has accomplished about the truth of the gospel, and he is blown away by it. The riches, the wealth, the immensity of the glory, the abundance is on display in Christ. A few moments ago, we sang that song, Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery. Christ the Lord upon the tree, in the stead of ruined sinners, hangs the Lamb in victory. See the price of our redemption. See the Father's plan unfold, bringing many sons to glory. Grace unmeasured, love untold. Brothers and sisters, we have a great and awesome God who has given to us an immeasurably great blessing in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And as Paul reflects upon that, he rejoices and he uses this worshipful language. He glorifies God. That is the reason why we sing praises to God that we do. It's to aid our worship to the one who has shown us the riches of the glory of his kindness to us. So church ministry is about worship because Christ is worthy to be worshipped. He is worthy to be praised. He is worthy of our adoration. We must not make the mistake of turning the purpose of the church on its head, making it about us. Worshiping ourselves when we ought to be about the purpose of recognizing that we as the church are to be a people of worship who worship the triune God for who He is and what He has done. And He has given us all things in Christ. Biblical church ministry is about worship. Second, biblical church ministry is about the Word. Notice the phrase that Paul uses back in verse 25. He describes the, the stewardship that was given to him from God to make the Word of God fully known. Paul's aim and desire is to proclaim the Word of God. He wasn't there to entertain. He wasn't there to, to make people feel good. He was there to proclaim the good news that is revealed through the Word of God. Many churches who take the approach of taking a, a man-centered approach, who seek to just help tickle people's ears, make people feel good about themselves, they may experience short-term success, but ultimately they aren't giving people what they desperately need, and it is the Word of God. We have the Word of God. It was given to us. God has revealed Himself. He has communicated to us. Why would we do anything else but study it? to read it, to declare it, to, to try to understand it and help others know the Word of God as well. God has spoken. We ought to be people who are about the purpose of answering the question, okay, what has God said? It is located here in His Word. Let's read it, let's understand it, let's obey it. If we become reliant upon the words of man and not upon the words of God, ultimately it's not going to get us anywhere. It is God's word that contains the words of life. It is God's word that has the power to change our hearts and our lives. God's word challenges us, confronts us, encourages us, edifies us, and there's nothing else 
that can do that. Church, biblical church ministry is about the Word. Third, biblical church ministry is about the gospel. It is about the gospel. As Paul declares the the good news of the gospel, he declared that his ministry is about proclaiming the word of God, and part of that message is the very message of the gospel itself. He talks about the mystery that was hidden from past generations but is now revealed to his saints. And and what is that that mystery? He says, it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Even though Paul doesn't use the word gospel in this context, it is clear that this is a reference to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Of course, we know that the word gospel literally means good news, and, and Paul explains to us what the gospel is in other contexts. We have 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, where Paul writes about how, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which, is, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to what I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered it to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And Paul tells us our necessary response to the gospel in Romans chapter 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And it is here in our passage in Colossians where we see the results of the gospel. That Christ comes to dwell within you, giving us the hope of glory. Think of that. Think of the context of Colossians. Of how Paul has detailed to us the the greatness of who Christ is, the creator, the sustainer, the one through whom the universe literally holds together. It's in the palm of his hands. And that same Christ comes and dwells within the hearts of his children, giving us the hope of glory. The good news of the gospel well, we see Paul as he continues to proclaim the goodness of, of Christ, this, this hope of glory. He does so, I believe, in two ways. He proclaims the gospel inwardly. He proclaims the gospel inwardly. And then he will do so outwardly. First, inwardly. Often we think of the gospel as being for unbelievers. Right? The, the, those who do not yet know Christ, they need to be told the gospel of Christ so that they can believe in Him. But... but, but Paul actually speaks of the gospel, speaks of the good news, and he actually spends much time talking about it in the context of those who have already embraced the gospel, those who already do believe in the gospel of Christ. Later on in in chapter 2, verse 6, Paul is going to say, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. We have received Christ through faith in the gospel, and so we are to continue to walk in accordance with that same faith in the same gospel. 
just as you have received Christ Jesus, so walk in Him. We are to reflect upon what Christ has done and allow that to influence how we live our lives in obedience to Him. Our obedience is not an expression of seeking to earn favor with God, but it is a means whereby we show gratitude to God for what He has done in and through the gospel. The gospel reminds us as believers that we have no reason to boast in ourselves. For we are still sinful human beings who deserve God's wrath. But because of His mercy, we have life. To become prideful or arrogant is therefore foolish and contrary to the very gospel we would claim to believe. And so he declares the gospel, and he does so inwardly within the local church, within those who have already believed. And so church ministry ought to be about regularly reminding one another about our need for the gospel. That's one of the reasons why we observe the Lord's table regularly, to remind ourselves of the gospel of Christ, to remind us that we still need the grace of Christ in our lives that is provided to us through the sacrifice of Christ. We need to be reminded that God does not look upon us through our own merit, through our own righteousness, through our own striving, but He looks upon us through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So we proclaim the gospel inwardly because you need the gospel and I need the gospel. But he also proclaims the gospel outwardly. It is not just within the walls of the local church that the gospel must be proclaimed, but it must be proclaimed outwardly as well. There are countless individuals who need to know what Christ has done. Notice what Paul says in verse 28. It is Him we proclaim. That's, of course, talking about Christ. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Warning everyone, teaching everyone. Gospel proclamation includes both warning and teaching. The word for warning is often translated in in many translations as admonition. We admonish one another. We admonish others. It speaks of correction. speaks of identifying false behaviors and false beliefs and correcting those with the word of God. Proclaiming Christ means we speak to false ideas and false behavior. Sinful behavior ought to be addressed. False ideas ought to be corrected. Now, this must be done in love, of course, but love demands that it must be done. Gospel proclamation proclaims the law of God as the standard of His holiness, to use it as a mirror to show the sinner of their need for Christ. We've been going through this in our Sunday evening discipleship class, right? As we've considered the Ten Commandments and seen the law of God and how we cannot live up to that. That's why we need the gospel. The law shows us our need for Christ. Many churches have forsaken their responsibility and their role in addressing sin. Many have chosen to lay aside that word altogether, to to ignore sinful activities, to ignore the word sin itself, and they have become 
sought to be much more acceptable to a culture that has, to an increasing extent, embraced and, in, and normalized sinful activities. The church has chosen to drop language that might be considered offensive to the world. But what these churches are forgiving, forgetting is that the world is in bondage to sin. And unless an individual is willing to acknowledge their own inability to break free from that which is killing them, that they will never live the lives that those other churches claim to, be, to promise to other individuals because they're seeking to live that life without the transforming power of the Holy Spirit and without submission to His Word. And so we must be willing to admonish and to correct false ideas and behavior if we were to call people to a life of following Christ. It must be done in love, but again, that same love requires that we speak truth. Which, of course, leads us to the next point of we admonish one another, we, we uh, correct false ideas and behavior, but we also teach. We admonish and we teach. That's the positive counterpart to admonishing. If admonishing is identifying and correcting false ideas and behavior, well then teaching carries the idea of promoting truth and proper living before God. You know, I've spent time going out doing open-air preaching. I have observed others in the act of open-air preaching as well, and I've witnessed preachers who come out and they, they come bringing a message of admonition warning individuals of their sin. They're calling out every sin that you can imagine and declaring that everyone in that hearing their voice is on their way to a Christless eternity in hell. And then they stop preaching. And they leave people in their condemnation. They leave people with the weight of their own sin, the weight of the law that has come upon them. They've, they've admonished these individuals, but they've never taught them positive truth. This is not gospel proclamation. Not a full gospel proclamation. If all we do is preach a message of condemnation, we are missing the gospel. The world already stands in condemnation. That's the message of John chapter 3. That the world already stands in condemnation. And we are to bring the good news of the light of Jesus Christ we must offer the good news. We must teach truthfully about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Declare His goodness and His grace to those who are broken by their sin. We must tell of the love of Christ and how individuals who repent and believe in Christ can have a new life, can be adopted into the family of God, be offered restoration, and be offered new life. We must warn, that is part of our responsibility. We must admonish, but we can't stop there. We must offer the good news of the gospel of Christ. Biblical church ministry exists to proclaim the good news of the gospel. It is about the gospel. Fourth, biblical church ministry is about discipleship. It is about discipleship. The words for warning and teaching seem to have a, a dual function. They, 
These are the basic activities that we engage in when we are seeking to share the good news of the gospel of Christ with others. But this is also, at at heart level, the, the basics of even discipleship ministry as well. Discipleship can be defined simply as helping one another follow Christ. All of us get to enjoy that work together as we engage in fellowship with one another. We are to be discipling one another, helping one another grow. We do that by admonishing. When we see a brother or sister engaging in something that is objective sin, we ought to lovingly approach that individual and challenge them to consider their course of action. But we also get to teach. And as we fellowship with one another, as we gather for church functions, as we rub shoulders with one another in different contexts and in different ways, we can disciple one another through our informal conversations, formally through our, our, our times of teaching one another, where we can help shape and sharpen one another as followers of Jesus Christ. At our church functions, those who are gifted for teaching bring God's Word and teach it. Our discipleship class in our evenings is designed to to have conversations. It's an interactive format designed to help us think intentionally about God's Word and how it applies into our lives. And all of this, this this there's admonition, there's teaching all rolled into all of this, and this all has a purpose. This all has a goal. It moves us in a particular direction that we see in uh, Colossians 1.28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom. Why? That we might present everyone mature in Christ. It's a purpose clause, indicating the purpose of why we do the previous actions. It's to lead us to this point of maturity in Christ. The reason we admonish, the reason we warn, the reason we teach is so that we all might be brought to maturity in our faith in Christ Jesus. Our desire should be to see all of us walking faithfully with Christ, living the lives that He intends and desires for us, studying God's Word, growing in our walk with Him, representing Him well to the world, mature believers. That's a journey that all of us are on moving towards maturity in Christ. Biblical church ministry is about discipleship. Finally, biblical church ministry is about Christ. Biblical church ministry is about Christ. Really, this this whole passage really has been even though Paul has been describing his, his activity and his ministry as he is laboring amongst the church, seeking to, to benefit the church, strengthen the church, and to grow the church, this whole passage really is centered and focused on the person of Jesus Christ. He says, He is the one that we proclaim. It is unto Him that we worship. It is in Him that we mature. And it is ultimately through Him that we labor and carry out these functions of the church. Verse 29, Paul says, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. 
the reality is that this approach to church ministry of, of seeing that we are to be focused on, on worship, on the Word, on, on evangelism, outreach, and, and on uh, discipleship, this is hard work for all of us. This is hard work. The leadership of the church must be willing to put in time, energy, and effort to see biblical ministry move it forward. All of us as individuals within the church must be willing to sacrifice some of their own time, energy, and effort if we are to be the body that Paul describes in Ephesians chapter 4 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul says that he toils and he struggles. Many of you know that I do electrical work. Much of my time is spent troubleshooting different things, installing light fixtures, etc. I'm on my feet for most of those days, but I'm not always sweating profusely as I'm installing a, uh, a receptacle or a light switch or something of that nature. But every once in a while, there's an aspect of my job that is very labor-intensive. I don't know how many of you have ever tried to drive a ground rod into the earth, but these ground rods are designed to help keep us safe. If lightning strikes your house, that ground rod is going to help protect your house and, and, and uh, keep it from burning down by bringing electricity down into the earth. But driving those into the ground requires using a sledgehammer and hitting it repeatedly to drive it eight feet into the earth. Sometimes there are rocks and things that get in the way. There are times where I've driven it four feet into the earth and that's as far as it goes and I have to pull it back up and find a new location to put it back into the earth once again. By the end of driving those into the ground, I'm telling you, I am dripping with sweat. My arms are exhausted. It's a struggle. It's a toil. That's, that's, I think that's kind of the idea of, of what Paul is getting at when he speaks of this, this kind of, of effort that he puts forth. To, to toil is to labor to the point of, of sweat coming across your brow. It's to work hard. It's to labor. It's to expend that energy. And he struggles with it. There's difficulty with it. It's not always easy. Sometimes we run into rocks and they get in our way and we have to make adjustments as we go. hard work. But notice, even though it is hard work, that really it's not about us. This task reveals our own weaknesses. Because reality is, is I, Ken Chipchase, need to be admonished sometimes. I need to be taught. I need to be brought to maturity in Christ. I'm not there yet. By God's grace, He continues to push me and move me in that direction, but I'm not there, and I need your help to get me there. All of us as individuals should be working together to help move one another towards this end, and it is hard work. We do labor in it. We, we struggle. We, we toil in this. But if we do this in our own strength, if I try to help you in my own strength, if you try to help me in your own strength, we're not going to get very far because of our own weaknesses, our own difficulties in this life. No, we must labor, but it's in the strength that Christ supplies. 
for this I toil, struggling with all of His energy that He powerfully works within me. This must be true of each of us. This must be true of each one of us. If we are to be a biblical church, recognizing that this isn't about me and about my needs as an individual, laboring on in my own strength, but rather if we all work together in the strength that Christ supplies, recognizing that it is Him that we proclaim. It is Him that we worship. It is in Him that we mature, and it is through Him that we can do anything. It is then that we can be sure that this local church will stay its course. We can be confident that the reasons that why we are here today are biblical reasons. If we recognize that ultimately, biblical church ministry is about Christ. So to close asking the question that I asked at the beginning of our time this morning, why are you here? I pray that we can all truthfully respond and answer that. We are here for biblical church ministry, to worship Christ, to proclaim His Word, to be equipped that we might go out and proclaim the gospel outwardly to our community, recognizing ultimately that all of these things, all of this is about Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, how it challenges us, strengthens us. Lord, I pray that we would be encouraged through this today, Lord, that this, this work that you have called us to perform is difficult, it is challenging. That's why Paul uses the language of struggle and toil and labor. And yet you have promised to give us the strength and the grace that we need for the task. I thank you and I praise you for that, Lord, that, that, that we can rejoice in that, that we can even rest in knowing that it is your grace and your strength that is given to us. I pray that you would help us to be a, a biblical church that stays the course, that follows after your word, a church that is not about us, man-centered, a man-focused, but a church that is about worshiping you, a church that is about proclaiming your word, a church that is about proclaiming your gospel, both inwardly and outwardly, a church that is to help one another mature and grow in maturity in Christ, a church that ultimately does all of these things in your strength for your glory. Pray that you would guide us, direct us as we continue to move forward in the year 2022. I pray, Lord, that you would be our vision as we're about to close with this last song, Be Thou My Vision, that you would guide and direct us in your truth. Pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.